Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And if you are joining us live stream or you are a guest here tonight, thank you for coming. And if you haven't been aware or with us, we've been walking through 1 Thessalonians on our Wednesday evening Bible study. And we are finding ourselves at the very end of this epistle that Paul wrote to this young church. And if you think back over the last year, at least for me personally, uh, I have found this study to be insightful, to be encouraging, as well as challenging. And I think what, what I have taken away from uh, this study is that the church in Thessalonica really does stand out as a tremendous example uh, for New Testament churches to follow, especially in the fact that it was a very young church and all that they had going for them. The other thing uh, that was very notable to me in this study was the, the evidence that the Apostle Paul really loved this church and sincerely desired them to prosper in the work of the Lord. And the heart of a pastor was really brought out to me in chapter 2 and 3, especially in this study. And I think you probably would agree that it's been challenging, at least on some level, uh, somewhere throughout this uh, study. And tonight we finish the very last section in Paul's conclusion to the church, and it begins in verse 23 down through the end. And the Bible says, "...in the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you before, or excuse me, by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. These words are words of exhortation. They're words of encouragement. Uh, they're not just simply, you know, tag-ons at the end of a letter. Uh, that some might so often think that they are. They're very relevant, and they're encouraging words. And what they are is essentially Paul's closing desire and prayer for this young church. And in it, we find some great exhortations for us as well. And so we're going to consider this. What was it that Paul desired for this church? There are five things in here uh, that we'll look at in just uh, over these next few minutes, and I won't keep you long here tonight. Uh, but engage your mind with the Word of God. Let the Word of God encourage you tonight, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you use your Word as we always ask, uh, but Father, we mean it. Uh, would you use your Word in our life and encourage and challenge your people again tonight, Lord, shape us into the image of Christ, and Lord, may this church be uh, what our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, desires it to be. And thank you for these examples in the scriptures. We pray that, Lord, you would accomplish your purpose in these tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So what did Paul desire for this church in his closing statements in this letter? The first that we find is in verses 23 and 24. And Paul desired their sanctification. Paul said, the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. 
And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word and in verse 23, it's sort of, uh, well, basically it kind of carries the meaning of, of may. I want this to happen. May this happen. May the Lord bless you. You know, that kind of a thing. And so it indicates for us that this was something that Paul was desiring, wishing uh, would happen for the church and for the people. And he said, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. The word holy means completely. Uh, it means thoroughly, throughly, all of the above, perfectly. Paul is saying that uh, the entirety, uh, that his desire was that uh, completely and wholly they would be sanctified. The word sanctify, it comes from the Greek word hagiadzo, and it simply means to make holy. And so what Paul is saying that is my desire for you as a church is that you would be made holy uh, completely. And Paul, Paul has emphasized sanctification in this letter already. This wasn't something new at the end. Uh, even though he may not have used that exact word, he certainly emphasized it earlier on. If you look back in chapter 3, in verse 13, uh, verse 12, Paul said, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And so here, Paul, is, his, his heart is that they would be, uh, their hearts would be established unblameable in holiness before the Lord. In chapter 4, in verse 3, Paul said, For this is the will of God even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Verse 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And so Paul has emphasized sanctification uh, in this letter before. To be sanctified simply means to be set apart unto God from this evil world, or to be holy. That's what it means. And that's not new to you, and it wasn't even new uh, maybe to, uh, uh, to New Testament churches in the first century, because God has always commanded His people to be holy or to be distinct and separate from this evil world. First uh, Peter chapter 1 uh, Peter, citing Leviticus chapter 19 in verse 2, Peter says in verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation means lifestyle. In every part of your life, be holy. Verse 16, because it is written, here's where he's citing Leviticus, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And so God has always commanded His people uh, to be set apart unto the Lord from this world. And sanctification in this life for the child of God is the process by which God is working to conform us into the image of His Son. That is the process of sanctification for the child of God. To be made holy. 
And we'll never be sinlessly perfect in this life as long as we are in this earthly body or earthly tabernacle because it's corrupt at its core uh, in the flesh. But as a child of God, we ought to be making progress day by day, year by year, as the Lord grants us life. We ought to be uh, being shaped and molded more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. If you're a child of God, that is something that God has predetermined that He would do, is to conform you into the image of His Son. If that's not happening in a child, a child of God's life, you have to question and wonder whether or not they're even a child of God. That sanctification process is something God said that He would do. And this is Paul's desire for this church, their sanctification, completely. And likewise, we ought to make it our goal and our desire to cooperate with the Spirit of God as He seeks to sanctify us and set us apart unto God. Our text here gives us some insights that can help us grow in holiness. Paul says, notice here in verse 23, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. First of all, we can understand here that holiness comes from God Himself. The God of peace sanctify you holy. He call, Paul says He's the God of pre, peace. And, and I mean, in all honesty, I admit here that I, I don't completely understand why Paul refers to God as the God of peace here. But one commentator suggests this, that the reason Paul does that is to underscore that God's sanctifying work is the instrumentation by which God gives peace to His children. In other words, there's a relationship between holiness and peace in the life. As we grow in holiness, we experience more and more of God's peace more fully in this life. And, and I may not fully understand exactly why Paul uses that term, but I do know this. I know from personal experience that when I am resisting the work of the Spirit of God in me to try to change something about me, there's no peace in my life. There's only turmoil and there's unrest as I continue to fight against the Lord. Have you ever experienced that? When the Spirit of God is actively working to try to change something about you, maybe it's something about your personality. And people want to just claim this, well, that's who I am, you know, just you got to deal with it. Uh, too bad for you if you don't like it. That's not okay with the Lord because God wants to change that personality to make him more like Christ. Now, we all have a personality. We all have different temperaments and so on. But that doesn't make them right. We're to be conformed into the image of Christ and for me to hold on to. Or maybe there's something else in my life that, that, is, that, is, that is hindering or, or not beneficial to me spiritually. And the Spirit of God is actively working to try to, to rid my life of this thing to make me more like Christ, but my flesh is holding on to it and I don't want to let it go and I resist Him. Listen, there's no peace in my life. There's turmoil because I'm not in cooperation with the will of God, and my spirit knows it. 
we need to submit to the work of the Spirit of God. When we resist, sometimes that leads to chastening. But the Bible says that when we are chastened of the Lord, afterwards, what does it yield? It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. One way or another, God is going to conform us into the image of His Son. How much more peaceful to cooperate and yield to the will of God. Amen? Help me, Lord, to do just that. Humbly yield to the work of God in my life. He's called the God of peace. We're talking about that holiness comes from God. He's called the God of peace here. But we also need to know that God is the one who does the sanctifying. The rest of verse 23 says, well, the first part says God is the one who sanctifies you wholly. But then you get to verse 24, and the Bible says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God is the one who's called us to holiness. He's also faithful to be the one to do it. God does the sanctifying. Well, we can't make ourselves holy. And no amount of ambition or effort will avail anything if the Lord is not the one behind it all. My self-effort cannot set me apart unto God. My self-effort cannot sanctify me or make me holy. And listen, we can have disciplined lives, and we should, and we'll talk about that in a second, but our discipline doesn't make us like Christ. Philippians 1, 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one who has begun the work. He will also be the one to perform it. Philippians 2, 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now note this, and mark it down. For the, for the child of God, it is profoundly satisfying that at the end of the day, the thing that matters the most is not my feeble hold on God, but God's strong grip on me. That's something that is comforting. Because, you know, people can... We ought to have disciplined lives, and, and, we ought, and we'll talk about this in a second, but people can, can get so frustrated in their own efforts to no avail and find no victory and become frustrated in and of themselves because all they're doing is trying to work, 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 work in the power of their flesh, and it's not possible to do. God is the one who does the sanctifying. That being said... At the same time, we would be mistaken if we concluded that we are to be passive when it comes to holiness or sanctification. Some wrongly teach this philosophy, just let go and let God. Now, I think I know what they tried to mean in that, but here's the reality. When temptation comes along in our life and we sit passively saying, well, God's got to rescue me. And oh, God didn't come along and rescue me. I guess I have to sin. 
and go along with the temptation, sitting passively, not actively uh, uh, engaged in the, or yielding to the Spirit of God in cooperation, it's, it's not going to work either. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Okay? With the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. But the point is that you have to choose the way of escape that God brings along. You've got to make the choice. 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 27, Paul said this. He said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul used an athletic example to say that he disciplined himself for the sake of the gospel. But later on in chapter 15 and verse 10, Paul says, By the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but by the grace of God which was with me. By God's grace, we're instructed in the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 to actively flee fornication. Paul said to Timothy in, in, uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22 to flee youthful lust. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. We're commanded in the scriptures to resist the devil. Hebrews 12 and verse 14 says to follow after peace with all men. That word follow means to pursue. The very next word is and holiness. Follow after holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. But then the very next verse says looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. What I'm saying is we do have an active role to play. Even though God is the one sanctifying, the process of growing in holiness requires both relying on the Lord and responsible submission and yielding on our part instead of resisting. It's a dual purpose. If we resist the Lord, He's still going to bring chastening into our life which will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But how much better for God's people to be actively in cooperation with the Spirit of God in that sanctification process. Amen? We find that holiness comes from the Lord. But we also find in this verse that God wants holiness to encompass the entire man. Notice how he says, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness encompasses the entire man. Paul is emphasizing that the process of sanctification should be entire. It should involve every part of our being, both material and immaterial. 
And it begins with the inner man, the inner person, but then it extends out to our bodies and the way that we behave, the way that we live. There's some false religions that teach that all matter is evil, including the body. But the Bible teaches that our bodies, while fallen in sin, are still to become holy or set apart unto the Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica, my desire and prayer for you is complete sanctification. Yield to the Lord. Let the Lord have His way to make you holy. He desired their sanctification, but holiness comes from the God of peace Himself. It's to encompass the entire person, spirit, soul, and body. And the idea is that all of our being should be yielded to Him. And we ought to desire to actively cooperate with Him in sanctification. The second thing that Paul desired for them is in verse 25. He says, brethren, pray for us. Paul desired their supplication. So he desired their sanctification. In verse 25, he desires their supplication. Paul offers a humbling and profound reminder to the church here. He desires that they pray for him. Paul was well aware of his own personal need, the spiritual warfare that he dealt with. He was aware not only of the need, but he was also aware of the power in prayer. And so he earnestly wanted the church to pray for him. Paul said that on a number of occasions to other churches, asking the churches to pray for him for various reasons. And I can assure you that if the Apostle Paul desired and needed the prayers of the church, we do as well. Amen? Especially in the day that we live in. We need to continually lift one another up in prayer unto the Lord. We're living in very difficult days. It's only going to get more difficult, I believe. And the only way that we'll endure is with the Lord's help. And we need to pray one for another. Let me ask you the question here. Do you make prayer a daily priority in your life? Well, of course I do, Pastor. I pray for the food that we eat. I pray for you know, my finances to be blessed. I pray for my health situations. I pray for my dog. Of course I pray. We have a tendency to be very selfish in our prayer. When in reality, it ought not to really be about us at all. When Jesus was teaching his disciples and the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They were listening to him pray first. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, here's a model. When you pray, pray like this. 
And Jesus listed off several things. He started out with praise unto the Lord, our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed, holy be thy name. Honoring God. And he works his way down, and finally he gets to give us this day our daily bread. But all too often we get that all reversed. We run into the presence of God. Lord, I need this, and Lord, I need that. And it's not wrong to pray for daily needs. It's not wrong to pray for situations in our life, certainly. But I wonder if one of the things that gets left aside the most is actually praying for each other, one another. We needed to make it a daily priority to pray, but we should pray for each other. Do you, do you pray for this church? Do you pray for the people who make up this church? For the physical, spiritual needs that people have? For the individuals? I'm going to share some things with you later that are going on right now that we really need to make a matter of prayer that relate to members of the church. Do you pray for the church? Or how about this one? Do you pray for our evangelists? Our missionary, Brother Noah George. He needs your prayer. I need your prayer. You need my prayer. We need to pray for each other. How about other missionaries that we support? We'll watch a video tonight from Brother Morris in Eswatini. There's a lot of stuff going on in that country right now. I'm going to show you a video. He needs our prayer. The Apostle Paul said in his closing remarks to this church, Brethren, I need your prayers. It's important. He wanted their supplication. And I guess the question is, you have to examine your own heart. Don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss it. I think some of the most simple Bible truth, the things we say we know the most are the things we do the least. Verse 26, Paul says, Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. Here's another desire that Paul had for this church. He desired their unity. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. This implies here peace and unity in the church. Wouldn't you say? Um, the idea of having that kind of family and brotherhood bond in peace is what he's talking about here. Simply, Paul desired that they love one another and dwell together in unity. He desired that they bond together in Christian love and have a, a common goal for the cause of Christ and all of the above. And I would say to you tonight, brethren, we desperately need that unity and Christian love one for another. We desperately need it. And it's something that we ought to strive for, actually. Ephesians 4 and verse 2 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavoring, it means to use speed, and it means to make great effort. 
Paul said to the church in Ephesus, do it quickly and make great effort, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It takes some effort and it takes some work. We need the help and the strength of those around us. We need to be united in the cause of Christ. Listen, we got to make every effort to make peace. And the truth is, we don't have time for bratty, petty, senseless problems. I'll just put it that way. We don't have time for that. And honestly, if our heart and our mind is to make every effort for, for peace, and we're not so self-centered and self-focused, these things won't really be a part of our daily life or our church life. Sometimes people just need to grow up and get serious about spiritual things, about godly things, and not petty bratty things. Amen? Because that's kind of what it is. And sometimes adults can be the most childlike in a lot of ways. We don't, we don't need that. We ought to make every effort for peace, for unity, because we've got a job to do. We've got souls that need to be one. We have a job that we need to be focused on, the cause of Christ. Amen? No time for squabbles. And Paul said, I desire unity among the brethren. And then verse 27, he says, I desire conformity. He says, I charge you before the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. What do I mean by conformity? Well, conform to the word of God, really. He says, I charge you. The word charge, to, it means to solemnly enjoin to make, swear, or put to an oath. And he says, by the Lord, which indicates that this is not Paul's opinion. It's on the authority of God that he's saying this. And what's he talking about? That this letter, this letter be read unto all the holy brethren. Why, Why was this on the authority of God? that the letter be read to the holy brethren. Well, because holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is inspired scripture. And Paul knew the benefit that it would be to the church. And he charged them that it be read among all the brethren. His desire for them was to, was to let the word of God impact their life so that they could grow and mature in the Lord, conforming more to his image through His Word. And let me tell you, friend, that truth has not changed. And it never will. We need to hear and heed the Word of God in our day as well. Oh, that's not something I don't know, Pastor. I know that. But are you doing it? Conforming to the image of Christ is going to take the Word of God effectually working in us. We need to make the Word of God a priority in our lives. Do you? Do you? Look at verse 28. Verse 28, Paul desires 
their victory. And I say that because he said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. What closing words of comfort for this church. Paul prays for the grace of the Lord to be abundant in their lives. He wanted them to experience God's grace and enjoy the victory that comes with the grace of God in their life. And oh, how we need God's abundant grace in our lives as well. Remember what the word grace means? It's the Greek word charis. Certainly it means divine favor, but it really carries the meaning of divine enabling. Enabling. Divine enabling. Paul says the grace, the divine enabling of the Lord be with you. We need the divine enabling of the Lord. Amen? Every moment that we live, we need God's grace. We need the grace of God to guide us in our life. Friend, we need the grace of God for, for regular living, like family life, for, like parenting, for example. We need the grace of God, the divine enabling. It's very easy to drop the ball in some areas. I need God's enabling to get it back. We need God's grace in our relationships. I mean, people like to put things on autopilot in relationships, but when you put things on autopilot, you're going to crash. We need God's enabling. Sometimes we need God's enabling just to get up in the morning, <laughs> right? Without the grace of God, I think we do way too much in the power of the flesh when we've got a whole pile of enabling over here that's God's ready to give if we'll just ask. And we flounder and we struggle and we fight and we do this and we do that. Why? Because we're failing of the grace of God. It's there. Paul said, I want God's grace and the victory that comes with it in your life. I was thinking about this thought in the song that we sing sometimes, I need thee every hour, came to mind. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Bless me with what? With your grace. We can come before the throne of God to find grace and help in time of need. We need the Lord. We need His grace. As we conclude this study here, I wonder how our lives compare to those in Thessalonica. They were mortals, just like we are. But I've been greatly challenged by their testimony. A very young church that Paul commended for many things. And Paul said, you're doing all of these good things, but I want you to abound even more in these things by the grace of God. And I think that we would have to agree that we could be closer to the Lord than we currently are. 
And if we were, no doubt we'd be accomplishing more for His glory. I pray that we will see the Lord for who He is. We'll seek to be more like Him. That Plaque Road Baptist Church would strive to be or emulate the example of the church in Thessalonica in their service to the Lord by the grace of God. Amen. It's been a good study for me and even encouraging even in the end of it. These words were to exhort and encourage this church and prayerfully they are to you as well in your own Christian life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its instruction in righteousness that we might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And thank you, Lord, for the work that you do in our life in sanctification and that by your grace you enable us, Lord, to even, even cooperate with you. Lord, we just need you. We need each other. We need to pray for each other. We need unity and peace that we might focus on the cause of Christ. We need all of these things, Lord, and we need you to supply as we rely on you. Thank you for the instructions we've had over the last many months in this study. And as we look forward to uh, more study in the Word of God, I pray that you would, Lord, use it and we would be receptive of it, that it might effectually work in us, Lord, to the accomplishing of your will, which is to make us more like Christ. We love you tonight. Thank you for your grace towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.